Good morning. Hi, I'm John. I'm one of the pastors here at Ammonford Evangelical Church. If you're new, haven't seen my face around, I'm glad to have you with us this morning. We're going to get into one of our stories, one of these early stories of the Christian church. You'll find in the book of Acts in the Bible, if you've got one there, Acts chapter 4, we're going to read in a second. It's a story about intimidation. It's a story about suffering and opposition. Opposition that the, some of the very first followers of Jesus found in the very earliest days of the church. I wanted to ask you before we read this story, what's the most intimidating situation you've ever been in? Maybe it's thinking back to school and, um, I don't know, facing up to bullies, walking into assembly maybe, in front of everybody and you're a little bit late and everybody turns around and their eyes are on you. And the headmaster's sitting at the front and you can feel your cheeks filling up with blushing. You're embarrassed, your face is going red and it's intimidating. Maybe you've got a PhD, you're one of those um, high special ranking people in our society and you remember your viva for that, professors and experts in the field, intimidating, interviewing, asking you big questions, trying to find a chink in your armour. Maybe you remember that kind of situation or maybe it's coming to church, maybe that's what you find intimidating. All these eyes looking at you, the new person, walking in or walking back in for the first time in a long time and maybe it feels like everybody's judging you, what you're wearing, whether you're carrying a Bible or not, whether you know the songs or not. Why haven't you been in church for a while? And it feels, it can feel like that, can't it? Coming into church. I hope that our church doesn't feel too much like that. Um, sometimes that's, uh, that's how it feels. If it's been like that for you coming to church, then I'm sorry, it shouldn't be like that. Church shouldn't be an intimidating place where we feel like we don't belong. Church should be a place with open arms where we're welcomed. But that's not what the story is about today. The story is, about two Christians, Peter and John, facing up to what would have been a, a pretty tough audience. So let me read you the story. Acts chapter four. If you've got a Bible, it's kind of, I don't know, at least three quarters down. Keep on going, you'll find the book of Acts, all these stories about the early church. I'm gonna read from Acts chapter four. Let's pray that God would help us understand this story and hear what he's saying to us through his words in the Bible today. Let's pray. Lord, we want to hear from you today, not just go through interesting stories and kind of learn some practical lessons. Lord, we want you to speak to us. We want to know what it is that you have to say to us today. So we ask that you would speak through your words. You'd speak through me as, uh, as I speak, as we listen, as you speak to us. Lord, we pray that you would help us to listen. We pray that you would help us to open our hearts, to open our ears, that you would open our eyes to see your son, the Lord Jesus, to love him as Peter and John loved him, to be courageous as they were courageous, to be clear on who he is, as they were clear, Lord, that we might that we might stand on him as our cornerstone and come and follow you. Amen. Okay, Acts chapter four. The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees, this special group of religious people, came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because of the apostles' teaching, teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed, so the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000, just counting the heads of the household, just the men, not counting women and children, and it must have been loads more. The next day, the rulers, the elders, and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there. So were Caiaphas, these are big names in Israel. John, Alexander, others of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? 
Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called today, called to, to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you people of Israel. It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. See, just before this, they'd healed a man who'd been crippled for 40 years. An amazing miracle, helping a disabled man to walk again. And then these important, the who's who of religious leadership in Israel, dragged them before the courts and said, what, what are you doing? Who's given you power to do this? And they stand up and say, it was Jesus. Carry on in verse 11. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which you must be saved. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realised they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who'd been healed standing there before them, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and they conferred together. What are we going to do with these men? they asked. Everyone living in Jerusalem knows they've performed a notable sign and we can't deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in this name. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak to or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes? To listen to you or to listen to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we've seen and heard. After further threats, they let them go. They couldn't decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. So this is the story of two crowds. Can you see the two crowds? Um, they're mentioned at the beginning and they're mentioned at the end. One crowd is the 71 powerful, authoritative, religious, political rulers, the Sadducees and all the high priests and the family, all this gathered body of people who would have been in a semicircle in their chambers, taking Peter and John and standing them before them and intimidating them, saying, come on then, tell us who you did, who, uh, whose power you did this through. That's one crowd, trying to get them to be quiet, trying to, trying to intimidate them into silence. And then there's the other crowd, the whole crowd that fills Jerusalem, this, this crowd that has swelled the church up to 5,000 men and who knows how many women and children. Another crowd that isn't intimidating. It's a, a crowd that's full of joy. A crowd that has been, do you see that in just the last couple of verses? Praising God for what had happened. People who were changed by the message of Jesus, that Jesus is alive and that he's powerful, that he's present, that he works in our lives to do wonderful things, to bring us from death to life spiritually, to give us hope for the future, to bring us home to know the God that we're made to know, to, to give us life. That's the message of Jesus' resurrection. So you've got two crowds in this story. Do you see that? A tale of two crowds. One is intimidating, trying to get the, the disciples, the followers of Jesus, to be quiet. And another group of people, this other crowd that won't be quiet, that's praising God, whose lives have been changed. We've got to keep those crowds in the back of our minds. We're going to look at them a little bit later on and kind of decide which crowd do you want to be a part of. A crowd that wants to be quiet about Jesus to put him in a corner and kind of pretend he's not there, or the crowd that builds their lives on Jesus. It's an intimidating thing 
Peter and John walk into. There's joy all around, but they're tied up. Just an interesting thing to note. Um, they're tied up, they're tied down, they're locked up in prison, they've been arrested, but the gospel, the good news of Jesus, hasn't been tied down, can't be locked up, hasn't been stopped or arrested. This good news is going like wildfire through the city, even though these followers of Jesus are going through a really tough time. But okay, the tale of two crowds, that's our background for the story. And what happens? Well, the second thing I want you to see is the great courage and clarity that Peter and John have. They have a message of courage and a message of clarity. Look at what they say right at the end in verse 19. They've been told to be quiet by these religious officials. And what do they say? <laughs> Look, God has given us a message. So should we listen to him or should we listen to you? All these people, the who's who of power in Israel, people who were in league with the Romans, the same people who crucified Jesus, He'd been standing here just a few weeks before in front of the same people who'd sentenced him to death, who'd listened to false witnesses, who weren't good people, and they'd sentenced Jesus to death. The disciples, I mean, if it was me, I would have been terrified. I wonder if they were terrified as well. And yet they speak with great courage, don't they? They're not pushed into silence. They say, well, look, just think it through. Do we listen to you or do we listen to God? I think we'll listen to him and keep on speaking about what we've seen and heard. There's great courage in what they say. In Peter's speech as well, if you go back to verse, um, uh, to verse eight, Peter is filled with the Holy Spirit and he begins to speak and he tells them about Jesus. He tells them that there's no other name, that there's no other person who can save them. That Jesus of Nazareth, the one who was born of Mary, the one who was walking there as a person, a real man in history, just a few weeks before this, that he's the one that the whole earth has to come and recognise. That everybody on earth, on the earth, needs to call on. He's the only door into heaven, the only path to truth, the only way to salvation. Jesus is the way, the truth, the life. You want to know God? You need to come through him. You see how that's a, a message that takes great courage to preach. They want them maybe to say something a bit more vague. You know, it's, it's the power of God that's helped us to heal this man. But no, no, they won't just be vague about it. They're going to be really clear. It's a message of courage to do that to the same people who crucified Jesus. And it's a message of great clarity. Only Jesus, only in his resurrection can you have life. Only in his cross can you be forgiven. He's the only cornerstone. They're really blunt about it, aren't they? Verse 11. The stone you builders rejected has become the cornerstone. They're talking about Jesus. In fact, they're using the same words that Jesus used of himself. That's a quote from an Old Testament psalm, a poem written thousands of years ago that Jesus used to talk about himself. You could go and look it up later if you want. Matthew chapter 21 Matthew 21, verse 42, Jesus is speaking to the same kind of people, religious rulers, and he says to them, I am the stone that you've rejected, but God is building on me. God is building on me a kingdom that will last forever. It's a message of courage. It's a message of clarity. It's only through Jesus that you can know salvation, that you can know hope for the future. And that's a message that's not popular today, is it? We live, at least here in the UK, we live in a place where... Um, where we like to let everybody believe what they want to believe and end up saying that kind of everybody's truth is kind of their own truth. And we like to say that in most things anyway. Um, that you believe what you believe, just 
don't try and force me to believe I believe it either. And I think there's a d degree to which that's good and healthy. We shouldn't force other people to believe what we believe. We shouldn't look down on other people for believing different things, from living in other ways. We shouldn't. We shouldn't try and be or think that we are superior, because if you're a Christian, you'll know you are somebody who's a sinner, you're somebody who's made a real mess of your life. You're somebody that has had to be saved by God dying for you. It means you must have been in a pretty bad state for God to have to pour out his own blood to rescue you. It's a pretty significant thing to do. So, okay, we can't stand over anybody else in judgment, but you have to also be clear and say, Jesus is the only way. I mean, he's the only person who's broken through death, who's defeated death and come out the other side. That's what resurrection's all about. There's nobody else in history who's done that. So if you want hope and life beyond the grave, he's the only game in town. He's the only person who can give you that. He's the only person who's ever claimed and then followed through the claim that he's God walking amongst us. His teaching is authoritative. His teaching comes from, well, it doesn't seem to come from human wisdom. It seems to come from God. He has authority. He's beaten death. He's the only one who seems to fit the bill of a person to give us hope. You see, so he's the only way. Jesus says himself, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Maybe that still feels exclusive and, and um, arrogant to say that kind of thing, but you could think about it like this, okay? Maybe it seems narrow to say that Jesus is the only way, but in another sense, it's really broad. Because if Jesus is the only way to come to God, that means he's, he's the way that everyone can come to God. Does that make sense? So you have to go through him. There's only one way to go. But it means that anybody can come through him. You don't have to have been born in a particular country. You don't have to be a follower of some um, particular moral code, you know, that only some people or some religion know. You don't have to have this or have that on your CV. You just need to come to Jesus. He's the only door to salvation. But because he's the only door, he's the door for everyone. Whatever you've done, whoever you've been, wherever you come from, you can come to Jesus. That's the message of clarity, the message of courage. That's what Peter says here, isn't it? Acts chapter four. Acts chapter four, verse 12. Salvation is found in no one else. Well, there's no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. You've got to call on the name of Jesus and only on his name if you want to come to salvation. It can't be politics that rescues you. You can't set your hope on some other teacher or prophet. It needs to be Jesus alone. It can't be money. It can't be some other relationship. It can't be anything that you've done or said or not done or not said. It has to be through Jesus that you come to him and call on his name. It has to be through him. So it's a message of courage and clarity. But how do you get that kind of courage and clarity? There's a question for us. How do you become somebody like these apostles who can stand in a really intimidating environment like that and stay standing and speak with clarity? Jesus is the only way. You've got to come and know him and speak with boldness. <laughs> how can we help but speak? How can we be that bold? How can we be that clear? Well, it starts by spending time with Jesus. Did you see that in the passage? That's what these religious leaders notice about Peter and John. They've met Jesus before, the leaders, I mean. They've had him in their court before. They've heard him teach. And there's something about these men 
that reminds them of Jesus, that reminds them of him, the way that they speak, maybe a kind of fragrance about them, just the way that they are, the confidence they have, the way that they use scripture reminds them of Jesus. If you want to have the same courage that Peter and John have, you can have that. But you can only have it by spending time with Jesus. So do you know him? Have you been walking with the Saviour this week? Have you been opening his words in the Bible and reading them, listening to him? Have you been praying to him and speaking to him and opening up your heart and telling him everything you feel and apologising, repenting of all that we've done that's wrong, asking for his help, walking side by side with him like you would with a friend? Have you listened to him? Have you spoken to him? Have you spent time with his people? with his body, with his bride of the church. That's how you get close to Jesus. That's how you spend time with him. That's how he rubs off on you. You listen to him, you speak to him, you spend time with him. And that'll rub off on us, but it can't just be a thing in the past where we have spent some time with him. It needs to be that he's in us too. And that's in this story as well. It's not just that they used to spend some time with Jesus back in the day, but have a look at verse eight. Peter's filled with the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit of Jesus fills Peter, and so it's Jesus speaking through him. Jesus is with him in the present time and helping them to be courageous and clear, to not be scared of that intimidation, but to speak and speak of Jesus. Do you know Jesus promised them that? He's following through in this very moment that we're reading about. He's following through on a promise that he made back in Luke chapter 21. You want to write that down or maybe flick to it now? Luke chapter 21, before Jesus went back to heaven, he promised the disciples that one day, They'll hand you over to synagogues and they'll put you in prison. You will be brought before kings and governors and all on account of my name. And so you'll bear testimony to me. But make your mind up not to worry beforehand how you'll defend yourselves. For I will give you words and wisdom that none of your adversaries will be able to resist or contradict. Isn't that a beautiful promise? Jesus speaking to his disciples and saying, don't be afraid. Don't worry. They're going to oppose you. Hard times are coming down the road. They're going to drag you before intimidating people. But don't be afraid. In that moment, don't worry. Decide now before you even get there. You're not going to be afraid because I'll be with you. Whatever happens, I'll be there speaking through you, helping you to be full of courage, helping you to be clear in speech, to share with them the hope of Jesus, to share with them the good news of the cornerstone. That's the third thing I want us to see today. The first, well, we got the two crowds, right? One that's full of joy. They've got to know Jesus, they're saved. And one that's full of intimidation and trying to hush things up, two crowds. And then we've got courage and clarity, this message of courage and clarity. And what's that message all about? It's about the cornerstone. That's thing number three, right? A cornerstone and a choice that we have with what we do about the cornerstone. Do you see what these two crowds do? mentioned it earlier on. One crowd rejects this cornerstone and that's what Peter says to them. You have rejected this stone. You're the builders. You're the people of Israel who should, who should know better, should know your God when he's walking amongst you. But you rejected him. You rejected him. That's one way. That's the way of these Sadducees and this great intimidating semicircle of people who are pointing the finger and trying to hush things up. They reject Jesus. But you know that hope isn't lost for them? You could ask this question. I wonder if maybe some of you have been wondering, how did Luke, who wrote these stories down, how did Luke know what was going on in that private conversation when they put Peter and John out of the room and they just confer together in verse 15, 16? How, does, how did he ever find out what was going on in that secret conversation? I wonder if it's because a man called Paul was there. Paul was a leader later on in the Christian church, but before he became a Christian, he was somebody who was complicit in the murder of Christians. 
because he was one of the top religious leaders. He was an up-and-coming character in the who's who of Jerusalem and the religious community of the day. He might well, probably well, was in that room. Or if he wasn't, his leader definitely was, his um, mentor, a guy called Gamaliel. So I reckon Paul was either there or heard about what was going on in that conversation and eventually, when he came to know Jesus, told Luke, wrote these stories down. But Paul... How on earth did Paul become a Christian? He was one who'd rejected Jesus. He was one who was, like I said, complicit in the murder of Christians. How on earth could he be forgiven? How could he become a follower of Jesus? Well, you see, it is possible to change. It's possible to go from that crowd of people trying to hush up all talk of Jesus. It's possible to swap and say, I want to be in that crowd of people who are praising him who know salvation, who know freedom. Paul was one of those people who was miraculously, by God's overflowing goodness, taken out from that group of people who turned against the cornerstone and brought into the the crowd of people who build their lives on that cornerstone. So what are you? Are you somebody who's still rejecting him, still trying to hush him up, still trying to... Maybe you speak of God in the abstract. You know, you're happy to say stuff about God generally, but when it comes to Jesus of Nazareth, who died for your sins and who rose again in history, maybe you feel a little bit more like, oh, come on, let's, let's not get so serious about this. Can I encourage you? Don't reject that cornerstone. Build your life on him instead. Don't hush him up. Don't push him away any longer. Come and live your life Come and live a life full of clarity, full of courage. Come and walk through that door into salvation with Jesus. You could do that today. Paul did that, and he had a really terrible past. So whatever you've done, whatever you think is holding you back, maybe you've got big questions. It's good to try and have those answered. Maybe you've got big sins, things that you think, no, God could never forgive me. Well, he forgave Paul. He forgave Peter, and he was a guy who who really messed up. He can forgive you. He will forgive you. He opens his arms this morning and says, Father, forgive them. They don't really know what they're doing. His son has died for you to wash your sins away. So don't turn against him. Don't turn away from him any longer. Don't reject that cornerstone. Come and build your life on him. Come and have him build you into his great home and house. Come and be one of those people who's built on him, who spends time with him, with his people, speaking to him, hearing from him. Come and be one of those people who can't help but speak of him. Do you want to be in that crowd of people who reject him? No, you really don't, do you? Come and be in the crowd of people who praise him, who speak of him. And one last thing, maybe, are you a Christian? Are you somebody who's, who knows Jesus? But maybe you're just a bit scared. Maybe you feel, I'd love to have more clarity. I'd love to speak with more boldness. I just don't know what to say. I'm worried about people asking me questions. I don't know this. I don't know that. I don't know what I do in this kind of situation. Okay, maybe that's you. You love Jesus, but you're not sure about speaking. You can't say, how can I but speak of what I've seen and heard? Maybe you can't quite say that just yet. Well, okay, this is a thing, a little challenge for you to go away with today. Um, Speak about what you do know. Don't worry, don't think anymore about what you don't know or the questions people might ask or the things that might happen. Just speak about what you do know. That's what Peter says here, isn't it? Verse 19, verse 20, which is right to follow you, to follow God. Verse 20, as for us, we cannot help but speak about what we have seen, what we have heard. So what have you seen? What have you seen in Jesus? Go and write it down. What has he done for you? What do you know about him? What have you heard about him? What is it that you love about him? What is it that 
he's done in answering prayers for you? What is it that he's done in your family, in your friends? Write those things down. Think about those things. Thank him for those things. Praise him for those things. And then go and speak of those things. Don't think, don't worry too much about what you don't know. Speak about what you do know. Can you take that challenge and put that into action this week? Let's pray for courage. Let's pray for for clarity about who Jesus is. And let's pray that he would give us opportunities this week to speak about him. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you so much that you you are the way to come and know truth and life. Lord, we ask that you would help us to see that that is a a beautiful invitation to all people, whatever we've done, whoever we are, whatever our background, even like Paul, even people like Peter, can come and know you, can come and be built on this cornerstone uh, into a beautiful building where you come and live with us, speak through us, walk among us. Lord, we pray that you would help us not to reject you, but to embrace you and be built into you. Lord, we pray that you forgive us for all that we've done in walking away from you and rejecting you as the cornerstone. Lord, forgive us and help us to come and be part of this crowd that praise you, that know joy in seeing you work in us and through us and in our community. Lord, we want to be people who speak of you as well. So we pray that you would help us to see fresh and new and beautiful things about you today and this week. And we pray that you'd help us to hear wonderful things about you, that we wouldn't be able to do anything except speak. Lord, that we wouldn't be able to keep that message, keep that news, keep that goodness down. But we just want to go and share it with other people. Lord, give us people to speak to this week. Give us courage to do that. Give us real clarity when the time comes with words to say in the right time, with your strength, with real grace, with real truth, with love for those around us. Lord, help us to speak like Peter and John did. And as we do that, we pray that you would use us to bear fruit for your glory and for us and for our joy, we pray.